themselves and 360 the world. Jamie Neal, the host, asks many questions about their mindset and how they fundamentally operate their world and the world around them. We're supported by General Assembly and that's right, you can get a 25% discount for their services. Promo code is 360yourself25. The code will be valid up to £75 off any one of their classes, workshops and boot camps and is valid until the 31st 08 2021 and is not applicable to GA's full-time, part-time or online circuit courses. Full T's and C's apply. Here at 360 Yourself, we are very proud and honoured to be partnered with General Assembly. We embrace this with open arms to a new adventure. General Assembly is a global tech education company focused on the most in-demand areas today. So that's anything from UX, digital marketing, coding, data science, data analytics, to travel writing and ethics. Our slash their main goal is to get you where you want to be. You can find out more about them at ga.co online or across all socials at ga underscore London. We also encourage you to please rate and comment about us on Apple Podcasts. If you do enjoy what we bring to your ears, we'd love to hear about it. Hey, how are you doing? Good. Very, very good. It was like a slight pause there. I was like, I don't know if she's hearing me or not. I don't know. Zoom was talking to me saying uh, it was recording, so it threw me off. Sorry. Oh, it threw you off. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, so how are you doing? Oh, the question I always ask everyone uh, when the podcast is, whereabouts are you in the world at the moment? Because everyone is everywhere, because everyone could work remote. So, Yes, I am currently in my home, uh, which is upstate New York, but mm-hmm. I work in and out of um, New York City a lot. So. Wow. I, and I've heard, I've heard New York is doing very well for COVID at the moment. Yes. In, ter- in terms of uh, jabs and stuff, you, you're, you're killing it with that. Yes. Uh, Cuomo's saying if, if 70%, once we hit that, he's just going to let the cannons fly, I guess, let everything open and we won't have as many restrictions if we have 70% of New Yorkers vaccinated. So. Oh. So, so what, like what, there what, like what's your, re- your restrictions at the moment then? Um, great question. I don't go anywhere to actually. No. Uh, yes. Um, but there definitely are still some limitations. I wish I knew the answer. Yeah. So- I think the, that's the same thing. I, the only one I think I, I know that in the UK is that the table of six inside 
because I'll go for dinner and then it'll be like, let's get a large group. And then you can't, and you've got to get two different tables sitting in different places. So that's the only one that I know at the moment, but I think we have potentially have a third wave coming soon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which I don't know. It feels like we're now the hub of COVID. Yeah. Someone said this to me yesterday and I was like, actually, yeah, because we've got so many people coming in and out that we're not like just halting people going anywhere. Um, and then people like obviously went to Portugal. It's, it feels like, with, I don't know about any other people in any other country, but British people, as soon as something like becomes a bit of a leeway, like Portugal, for instance, it went on the green list, like so many people went to Portugal and then they were like, oh, sorry, it's going the amber list. And then there was like a massive surge of people going, oh my God, we need to get back now. And it just feels like, there's it's just so difficult to regulate it like to travel anywhere but there seems to be a lot of people coming into the uk right yeah so i don't know i don't know i didn't i it just, the thing is i think at the moment in time you just got to live day by day because honestly it changes day by day yes exactly you so can make plans but they might disappear depending on if you are the epicenter or not exactly the uk is the epicenter so <laughs> How, so what are you doing with your time then? Where if you're not going to out, out too much, are you mostly focused on your work stuff? Like how are you keeping yourself entertained? Uh, I am a mom of two young children. So ah. that is one of my big entertainments. Uh, <laughs> that takes a lot of time I, and energy. It takes a lot of time <laughs> and energy. Yes. Uh, well, they're toddlers too. So it's Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So on top of that, just focusing on my work and writing, you know? Mm -mm. And so uh, before we kind of go on to kind of about what you do, how did you get into it? Like, is your family creative of some sorts? Like, how did it all start? Yeah, um, I'm actually from a small town in Illinois, um, which is definitely uh I think pushed me away from it a little bit just because I knew I didn't want to stay in my small town uh -huh. um and so I just always was looking for ways to get out and um when it came time to like look at college and things like that I think it was my dad who had suggested you know, film school, like, why don't you look into that? Um, I just was always a little bit, um, I mean, I've always been creative, but I always just felt like, yes, that would be the way to go for me. Um, and I went to film school and um, one thing led to another. I mean, I pretty much just started interning on movies and then one job led me to the next job. And with those jobs, um, they let me kind of really hone in on what I more wanted to focus on. Um, so I think I was in the business like five years and um, I was like, I know I want to be more of like a creative, uh, have more of a creative role. And I started looking more towards working uh, with either directors or showrunners. Um, and that is where I landed on Veep, working for Armando Inucci. It's, it's quite lovely that your dad recommended you to go to film school. Like, did he, like, how did he know, like, to kind of 
push and kind of give you the opportunity into that world? Yeah, my parents actually were really great growing up. They required us to take a break from our friends and they would be like, no, we're going out of town to see like an art house film, you know? Um, oh, because wow. okay, did yeah. not show them in my small town. Like we had to drive an hour to go and see anything that was popular at the time or, or whatever. Like a good example is um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yeah. My parents were like, nope. Like I was even like 16 at this time. They were like, no, you're not hanging out with your boyfriend. Like you're coming with us. We're driving. We're going to go see this movie because we think it's important that you see it, you know? So like that influence from them was uh, constant throughout my life growing up. I mean, Crunch and Tiger, Hidden Dragon is a brilliant film. They have good, great taste. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And they, they've just always been, you know, both of my parents, my dad plays guitar, my mom plays the piano. Like they definitely are artists in their own way. Um, but I think that they found it hard to escape the small town because you know, basically our entire family is all there. There's just a few stragglers who have gotten out from our family. I can totally relate. I come from a very village town as well. So I, I totally understand the people that kind of just stay in the village <laughs> and they never escape. Yeah, right. And, you know, generations older, like, you know, their parents were there, their siblings were there, just feeling like you don't want to leave, you know, you, a lot of people don't want to step out of their comfort zone um mm. yeah and, i yeah. totally understand because there's like a local pub by me that everyone always goes to and they just and my dad would take me and i'll buy him around whatever it is and so i think it's like two pound a pint it's so cheap there and but the guys would just sit there like the men would just they have their seat they go there every single day they stay a couple of hours and they go home and they go back and it's just like I totally understand because I, I I think I understand the idea of it. Like it's just so comfortable and cozy, you know, like your routine. And I think people like routine in life sometimes. Some people like to live on the edge and they like not to have a routine, but some people really love a routine. Yeah, 100%. I'm so sorry. My dog go, is crying. Go, go get the dog. Let him outside really quick. Come here. Come here, Wiley. Go get the dog. Oh. How cute. I just love dogs so much. One day, one day I will get myself a dog, but until then, I'll just will live through other people who have dogs. We'll just wait here in silence. Well, yeah. I'm not really not in silence, but yeah, I have two. You got two dogs. Yes. Oh wow. Yes. So you got two children and two dogs. That's quite a handful. And yeah. then, a, and then, obviously, like your career and partner and that sort of thing. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yes, exactly. Do you get Do you get up at like five a.m., six a.m. to do? I mean, I would get way earlier to do more stuff then. Yeah. Uh, six six thirty. Sometimes I hit that snooze button. You know, too many times. Um, <laughs> but yeah, usually with the kids, we just have to be up um because they're in daycare since i'm working full-time yes yeah, yeah yeah as does my partner so yeah um just got to get them up and out of the door so i can start my work day 
Yeah, and yeah time to pick them up. <laughs> I think I think I think we talked about this last time. How has it been though, working with, with like children in the house while we've had COVID and stuff? Um, challenging, difficult. Um, depends on the day, you know. Depends on my workload, but very tricky, you know. And there's articles everywhere, people talking about the childcare crisis, like. It's a real thing, you know. Um, having what, what, what's what's the childcare crisis? I'm so unaware of this. Because of the pandemic and having to work from home, and then you know, at the beginning of it, child, all the daycares in the city shut down. So if you oh, were, yes. yeah, 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 people who had a job, um, and were able to work from home, you had nowhere for your children to go. You know. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, it's just been really difficult working from home and taking care of the kids. I mean, yeah. you know, we were able to open back up in the fall, but it was very tricky. Uh, I definitely maximized nap time. If I got them both down at the same time, it was like, I got to go into hyperspeed on the things I need to do. Yeah. So what, what would they do while you're like working in the background? Would they like be watching TV? They just were playing with each other? Yes. The older, my daughter, um, she is definitely more like can sit down and watch a movie and will enjoy that. Mm -hmm. um, but my son was a, you know, newborn infant during the pandemic. So he needed, he needed his mother every two to three hours for nursing and things like that so oh, wow wow yeah. wow wow that's that i mean I, I i don't have children myself but it's i can only imagine if you did have daycare before like just normal before like covid and then suddenly you've been stripped from your chart your daycare stuff and you're just like oh my god i gotta look at my child for the rest of the day that must be such panic yes exactly um and a lot of times like i was working on scripts you know and like I have to be focused when I'm doing that. So to have, you know, one of them crying and between them and the dogs, somebody's always crying, needing or wanting something. So someone's always wanting something from you, whether it's your job or your like your children or something or your dog. Yes. I mean, it just happened right now with the dog. Like the kids aren't even here and he's sitting here crying, like, let me outside, you know? Oh, so, so, so what, so talking about want, so people wanting from you, what do you like to do then? You personally, like when you're not working, what does, if people are not like wanting st stuff from you, how do you do your thing that you like to do? <laughs> I um, love to pamper myself. I love massages and getting my nails done. Um, Typical girl things, I think. Mm -hmm. Although also been challenging with the pandemic, so haven't really got to do that that much. Yeah, there's. I've had I've had this like nail technicians doing like black market like deals and whatever, like going like secretly like stealthy sort of thing, like spies going into people's houses doing people's nails. Yeah, right. Like any time that they yeah, if somebody was like, no, I want to get my nails done. Somebody else was like, I want to do your nails. I don't care that it's a pandemic. <laughs> Makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, there was a time in my hometown where people, there was a couple of guys, I can't, I can't name, their, name their names, but yeah. they were, um, it was in the height of the pandemic and they were, they were hairdressers and they would go around to people's houses, but they would, they would go in with like gym stuff or what I think it was like gym gear. Cause I think at the time you could like go for running for gym, like if it was like a, a mile or something from your house 
So they would dress up in their thing and they would get in a car, park it somewhere near the person that would go and then do a little run round and then run into the house and do the hair. <laughs> I mean, that is that is desperate. I mean, that if, you, if you're that desperate for a haircut, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my hair was super long when the pandemic first started and I had to just have my husband chop it off for me because... With- yeah, well, as I think, I'm usually, I was usually blonde, blonde white before COVID. And then I spent a whole year just going like, I'm just going to go back to, I just, I just watched it all go from my head. And I was like, I'll just wait till I go back to my normal color. Cause like, I couldn't, you, you couldn't maintain it. So I was just like, I'm just going to give up. I'm giving up. Yeah. I'm just going to let it bleed through my hair. It's fine. Yes. Yeah. Um, but back to your question on what else I like to do. I like um, also like exercising, just getting out in nature. Um, we just moved to like a lake community. So there's a beach down there. Just what in New York? Yeah. Hey, there's yeah. a lake in New York. I've, I've been to New York a few times, but I didn't know there was a lake in New York. Several lakes in New York. No yeah. way. I just said my, well, everywhere I've been has always been like buildings. Everything's yeah. got buildings. Apart from like places in Brooklyn, like a bit further out. Everywhere yeah. is like buildings. Yes. We're like 45 miles north of the city. But uh, okay, yeah. Yeah. That would make sense. Well, there lake. There's certainly quite a few lakes, actually. Yeah. Oh, that must be so nice then. So nice that you still can have that kind of hustle bustle city life, but then also still have a lake. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So with so within your work, so people who don't know what showrunners is and then like an, a producers in terms of a, how a writing room works and yeah. like production, explain to sort of audience how it works and how you're gonna get into your role in a sense. Yeah. Um, so showrunners uh, are the top boss in a, on a TV show, um, whereas on movies the top boss is the director right? So mm-hmm. you can equivalent a showrunner to a director that if that helps that, you know. But why is it, why is it called a showrunner? Cause years and years ago, I thought a showrunner was like, <laughs> like a runner. Yeah. Right. Like a, like a, like a PA sort of runner thing. And then I realized when I went to LA for, for holidays or something, someone said, someone said a runner and I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they explained to me what a runner was and not a showrunner. I was like, Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Great question. I truly don't know the answer to that. Why yeah. the showrunner? Because it does seem like a showrunner. If like, you just hear it, you're like, that doesn't sound important. Yeah, you like know? it's not like an executive producer. You get you totally understand what that is, but it looks like right. the show's runner, not a showrunner. Right. Yeah. yeah. But you know, their title, I guess, technically is always executive producer, but yeah, to denote them we call them the showrunner. But also, but also, so they're part writers, part producers. Usually, yeah. So so that's the confusing bit. So they're part, they're showrunners, but they're, they write on the shows technically, and they also produce, they organize and produce it as well. Yes, right. And most writers are considered producers. I feel like, you know, once you get to a certain level, it kind of goes hand in hand, just because you're, in terms of the writers, right, they are also involved in the casting. They're also involved in, um, you know, if they've written an episode, then they are sometimes making decisions and giving thoughts to the showrunner. That's ultimately going to weigh, you know, like they have control too, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Um, and 
what else did I want to say about them producing? Oh, and then like the cuts, you know, when we start putting the show together, they give notes too. So they are producers as well as writers writing the words. Mm. Um, yeah. And I then, know. And then, and then, and then how, how does someone become, get into sort of a role that you're doing, but also into show running and stuff? Yes. So I don't know the exact answer on show running, except for, I think when you've had a track record of being a successful writer um, and you have a relationship with studios or a producing partner who is powerful, right? You can then be like, I have this great idea for a show and it kind of seamlessly happens, right? Um, in terms of showing. But in terms of my role, I, I feel, I'm not sure how many other people like me are out there. Um, I am sort of a triple threat in that I wear many hats. Um, you know, so on, on top of like assisting the showrunners, I'm also assisting the writers, but then I'm also um, the script coordinator usually. And um, I don't know, I, I'm sure other people do this, but I, I don't know that everyone does that. Um, so because of that, I feel like I've created my own little lane of being able to be creative while also handling the logistics. Um, but I, I feel like, how does someone get here, right? Like, you, you got to make your way. You got to forge your own path, you know? Mm. And own what you do do, you know? Own your responsibilities. Own, own what you're handling for them in a way that makes any sense. Yeah. Because like, it, 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 it seems like uh, from sort of outside, like, especially with Hollywood and TV and film, it's so so about who you know, like yeah. who can get you in the room and the writer's room. How if you don't if you're from like a village town like me, yeah. and you don't know anyone, how did how does one know the people to get in and stuff? Unless you're like doing your own thing, where a lot of people do do their own thing first. They make something, they write it, they create it, and they send it to someone. Someone likes it, and they go, actually, you've got a great eye. Right. It's quite difficult to kind of get to know the right people, I imagine. Yeah. yeah. I think that's exactly it, right? Like it is all about networking. So the moment that you break in to the business, um, I think it's really important to establish your relationships and look at, you know, first of all, people get into the business not doing what they exactly want to do all the time, right? Like actors yeah. want to be directors. Uh, writers want to direct you know i don't know that directors ever want to be something else but um it happens all the time right so i think it's important to um yeah establish a network right away in order to keep yourself going and propelling forward um for example like i started just as a production assistant, right? But I was always very vocal with everyone that I was interested in producing and writing. Um, I mm. would I would even tell my other PAs, you know, like I would just tell anyone who would listen to me talk about 
what I actually wanted to do. Um, and I think that that's really important in order to open up the avenues of how do you get to where you want to be, right? Yeah, because I think we talked about this like beforehand about like certain people will be given certain things about being, yeah. about vocally saying they want it. And I've always said like, if you want something, because I'm always about manifestation in the universe, I always believe that if you tell someone an idea or something or path that you want to explore, then it's out in the universe and someone knows about it and they might go, oh, actually, let's sit down and chat about it. Or I know someone that could you, I could introduce you to. But if, if you don't vocalize it, it just becomes internal. So then no one really knows and they might actually have an opportunity for you. But we were talking about some people that get into a room or to a space without actually them asking for something that they would love to explore. Yes, right. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely several, or it happens all the time where people are just kind of handed things without having to ask. I don't know how that works though. I've never, I've never understood how that works about asking for something and then being handed like a really important job or role. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm trying to figure out a way to give you some examples, but I've seen it happen um, several times throughout my career. And um yeah i think with in mind those people have either shown that they want to work really or they work really hard and people like their attitude and that kind of thing um but yeah how it goes to just getting something that you didn't ask for necessarily it also does blow my mind because i have had to ask for everything that i've gotten you know yeah. So I've never really been handed anything. I've had to ask for everything that I've achieved thus far. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's fascinating, isn't it? I just find it mind boggling. But I've always believed that if you do speak it out into the universe, it really does help and propel and also kind of crystallize and ferment your actual vision, your path. Because I sometimes we live too much in our head. And actually we overthink things But actually when you speak it out, you then kind of have a, like a dialogue with yourself. Like I always believe that um, the most brilliant people are always a bit, slightly a bit crazy because they talk to themselves, but actually talking to yourself is a really good thing. Cause it's sort of like you're talking to your alter ego or your the person that's behind the mass sort of thing. I've always believed that. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so when I, when I make a mistake sometimes I talk to myself and going, Jamie, we've made that mistake again, or we've made that mistake. We know we should have done that. Why didn't I not listen to my gut? Next time, Jamie, we're going to, and I talk to myself. I, I talk it through like that. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I talk to myself all the time. I mean, it's, it's important. Yeah, 100%. And, and, and maybe, so, maybe not always constructive criticism, though. Maybe a little too harsh on myself when I talk. Oh, the intrusive, yeah, the, no, we don't want the intrusive thoughts. Mine are always constructive. Mine are always like, okay, Good. plan this next time. Okay, this and this and that and that and that. And that's how I kind of grow as a person. Because I just, I want to make, I don't, I don't want to make the same mistake twice. I find that really frustrating to myself. Yeah, right. But we, but I think, I think we slightly digressed <laughs> into, so, we, so within, within your career then, how does it sort of like, 
propel for you personally? Like, where would you like to see? Do you see yourself kind of coming up with an idea and then pitching it to like a studio? How does it work for you? Was it you just get to a point where you're just show running, and then you're just bouncing along different shows and that sort of thing? Yeah. So I'm not show running yet, but that is definitely an ultimate goal for me. Um, because once I worked on Veep, it was like, yeah, I want my own show. That's what I want for mm. my future. Um, but for me, um, yeah, I think, I think right now in, in the time frame that I'm in, I need to just focus on my writing in order to propel that further. Um, because again, no one's going to hand me a show and say, no, no, here you go. Um, so I, I definitely need to put in the work in order to get there. Um, but yeah, I think I also need to like take a little step back in terms of producing in order to let the part of me that I'd like to go uh, so I can get there. That yeah. Is it, would, would you say it's probably easier to write your own show and to get it kind of made or to jump on a show that has been given to you? I think it's probably easier if you've, yeah, if you made the show, if you've created it and it's your baby, I think that's probably easier. Um, just because when you, um, with an established show, it's, it's obviously going to be challenging when you take it over. Right. But, um, there's so much that was already set in place before you got there. Mm. So, um, and I think, I also feel like you're under a little bit of a microscope in that sort of situation. If there was a showrunner previously, and then there's a new showrunner you know, people might be looking for mistakes or like, mm, that doesn't make sense. How is this going to work? Um, it's the whole thing, but we go back to about comfort. People get too comfortable. Yeah, right. Exactly. And then okay. you, then you come in, you're like, actually, so what, but mm, I always think though sometimes that people get too comfortable, but sometimes about, sometimes there are different ways of a better way, but is yeah. it, is it, is it better to like not rock the cart? And just do the way that everyone is comfortable, even though it's not the most efficient way. So then you get don't get arguments and people complaining, or you have a bit of friction and then you go in a different direction, which is obvious might be a more efficient way of doing things. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting one, isn't it? I, I don't know. I don't know. Do you not want to rock the cart and just go, okay, if that works, it works, but there's a more efficient way. Then, then it goes back down to then is that ego? do you want yes, right yeah which is a lot there's a lot of ego i imagine in tv and film and yeah. especially with showrunners yeah absolutely yeah because they're controlling the whole thing but also yeah. it must be so stressful though oh my gosh they are definitely the most stressed out of anyone i like that's part of why i was like yes i want my own show because the tremendous amount of pressure, there's something exciting about that to me. Mm -hmm. Granted, I don't have my own show, so maybe I'd hate it. But just in what I've experienced, um, yeah, it just seems a little, it seems thrilling to have your own show and literally have to make 
every decision out there. Um, I find it to be interesting, at least. I know. Because, you know, like even the props, you know, like they're signing off on that. They want to know what that looks like. And you, where most people might think like, why do they care about the props? But it's like, yeah, because it's their show. They should care about the props. Yeah. You know? It's amazing. I think when people forget that when you watch these amazing Netflix shows and they have amazing set design and art direction, um, and obviously people, some people don't, wouldn't notice it because they're just focusing on like the dialogue and the talent and stuff. But people who work in TV film, when you can really appreciate how beautiful the lighting is from the cinematography, but also just the small details in the back, you just yeah. go like, that was the showrunner. Well, partly it was the showrunner, also everyone else that was underneath the showrunner that, was, that came together all together. But ultimately yeah. it was the showrunner that signed it off and you go, wow, like, there's so much detail in here that there's, there's so much pressure to get it all right, whatever right is. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and with sets and stuff, and again, this is from my experience, um, showrunners also trust the people in their roles, you know, like, of course they have a pref preferred costume, right? But at the end of the day, they're going to trust the costume designer and the actor themselves, if they feel more comfortable, they're going to let them go that way. For sure. I mean, that's a great- it doesn't compromise their vision, right? For so sure. it's a great, but that's a great leader asset though. And quality is to delegate and let people that I've always said, if you bring someone on, let them do their job. Cause that's the whole point of there there, isn't it? Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it's also like you do have to give up some control, right? To <laughs> to let the people do their thing. Yeah, yeah for sure. So so as so as we sort of round up our kind of podcast, what I'd love to ask you is what um is our sort of give back to our audience. And I'd love to know if there's that one thing that's inspired you in your time or a mantra that you might use or a book or writing or yoga, anything that's inspired you that you would give back that would probably help someone inspire them as well. Um, what comes to mind for me is um, a lyric, uh, a song by Big Boy, actually, Don't Block My Shine. Oh, I um, love that. Yeah, because I just think it's really important that, you know, you're going to be told no, but you don't have to look at the no as the end of the road. Um, you need to look at it as a pivot you know, into something else, but also don't take it out on the person who, who said no, right. Mm. Don't, don't let them block your shine. Keep going, keep pushing to get whatever you want, whatever that is. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that I love that lyric, don't block your shine. Cause there are going to be people who are going to be blockers and there's some people who are going to be pushers. Yeah. So you, you got to find the people who are the pushers. Yeah. Right. And you got to exactly. work and you got to work out who they are, which one's which. Yes, exactly. That's that's a trick in life. Who are your who are your blockers and who are your pushers? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. What great. I love that lyric. Who's that by again? Big boy. What's the song called? It's called Shine Blockers. Oh, Shine Blockers. Yeah. Shine Blockers. I'm going to listen to that. But Blockers. B L O C K a s blockers 
Yes. I'm gonna look at that. I, yeah. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna like that song. You might. I think I do. Well, I, I want to say <laughs> thank you very much for coming on three sixty yourself. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat chat with you, and I wish you all the best with all your amazing projects. And hopefully, that I'll be seeing you on TV or something with your own show one day. Yes, exactly. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. This is 360 Yourself and I'm Jamie Neal. Thank you very much for taking a moment to listen to our wonderful guests. Please subscribe to our podcast to access all our brilliant guest episodes. They are released every Sunday at 12pm. We are available on all listening platforms, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Google Podcasts and Castro. You can also find us on Instagram at 360 underscore yourself, Twitter at yourself360 and our host at Jamie Neal JN. Thank you for listening. <laughs>